Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Well, welcome everybody to the Family Biz Show. My name is Michael Columbus with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And we have an incredible show for you today. We're gonna to be talking about how family is the heart of family business. And we're gonna be thinking about that in the, in the scope and the framework um, that families are an emotional system. But before we dig in, as we always do, we'd like to introduce or have our, our guests that are joining us. We have Thomasina Williams and Kathleen Wiseman. Welcome, ladies. Appreciate you both being here. Um, Thank you. What, what we like to do is we call it your journey. You know, the, this whole idea of working with families or working with family-owned businesses, um, there's today there may be some degrees and there may be some much more college, you know, and university level, you know, thinking around that stuff. But typically for most of us that, you know, um, that wasn't available 20, 30 years ago. So what was your journey and how did you get to where you are today? And give us a little bit of your background. Kathy, would you mind kicking us off? Aha, you're going with the older person first. <laughs> the longer journey first. <laughs> of course. Looking um, forward to it. Let me give you the context. I was working in a consulting firm in Washington, D.C. during labor management uh, change efforts after major strikes. So I was sitting in the middle of conflict for large corporations and their labor unions. And I was fascinated by it, but I decided to go back and get an MBA to understand kind of how that hit product, how conflict influenced productivity and the bottom line. And in business school, I didn't get the answers that I was hoping to. So I started studying at the Bowen Center for the Study of the Family, which is about how relationships impact your thinking, decision-making, and its focus on family systems with Murray Bowen. And while I was going through that class with my MBA under my arm and experience, I got a call from a colleague from Harvard who asked me to do a job that I was really ill-suited to do, to go into a family business and find out why they hadn't accepted a, a mergers and acquisition offer from them. And being so cocky that, well, I can do this, I went in and I made a huge series of mistakes that I've learned from for the last 30 years. And that was really when I realized the importance of family behind the business decisions. This was a very profitable Beltway Bandit with the best M&A offers and yet the family couldn't hit the go button. So what was that about? And that has been the learning and from then on, I got interested, learned and keep learning, but really focused on the family side, even though my background's business. So that's the long circuitous route. And lately where I find myself is in advising other advisors, wealth advisors, estates and trust lawyers, and other consultants as, as a second chair to give people a wider view of what they're looking at. So that's the Help them maybe avoid the mistakes that you made all those years ago. Right. And, and I now have a pretty good sense of what emotional process, the influencing between family members, how it can affect very good decision makers. And um, so my effort now is working with other advisors 
and really being a second chair to them. Love it. And so I can keep learning. So that's the old person's journey. <laughs> now here's the young person's journey. <laughs> or the quite, not quite as old person's journey. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I resemble that remark. Um, I, I know that I, I look 25, but I'm much older than that. Thomas, I say you know? that all the time. <laughs> yes. So I, uh, though I may not look like it, I'm actually in my third career. I started out practicing law for nearly 20 years in Miami and uh, decided I wanted a completely different journey for myself. So I ended up moving to New York and working with one of the largest philanthropic foundations in the country. It was a contract position. I renewed for a second contract and decided I needed to do something yet different again. But I thought it would be related to philanthropy and uh, was thinking actually about doing philanthropic advising with uh, ultra high net worth families. And in the course of doing my research, trying to figure out that arena, uh, I came across the study that Williams and Presser did around how ultra high net worth families use philanthropy as a tool to strengthen their families as much as for the philanthropic cause. And I was really intrigued by that. I had always done my own philanthropy as a lawyer, had worked with a number of family foundations uh, and uh, wealthy individuals when I was with the institutional foundation, but I had never thought about how they might be using their interest in the particular cause to really advance their family. And I was really intrigued by the high degree of intentionality and started researching that. And that led me to the Purposeful Planning Institute, which is where you and I connected, Michael. And just continuing the research journey came to appreciate that there's something called the shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations proverb. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is my family. My family has been through is, is a living example of that proverb. Actually the wealth in my family was lost in the second generation. Uh, most of it was lost in the second generation. And then as I continued to study, I uh, was trying to figure out how does one enter this field? How do you be a resource for families? And having come from the practice of law where similar to the world of finance, it's regulated. There are certain courses everybody has to take. There are continuing uh, education courses or certain foundational work that everyone practicing this profession must do. And I was trying to find that in this field. Lo and behold, there is none of that in this field. So I went on a journey to, I, I joked uh, to someone uh, for a presentation I did for the Purposeful Planning Institute this past summer, that I feel as though I got a PhD independent study in how to be a resource for families. One of the most impactful, I would say one of the two most impactful uh, trainings I did was discovering Bowen family systems theory. Yeah. I uh, attended the training at the Bowen Center in DC and that is where I met Kathy. Kathy's one of the instructors there and Kathy has uh, her own uh, practice training forum that's called Navigating Systems. If anybody wants to check that out, the, the web address is navigatingsystemsdc.com. And so I've been on that journey with Kathy, I think, am I in my fourth year, Kathy, or something like that, in addition to the year that I did uh, at the Bowen Center. And I came to realize that with the combination of the understanding the shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves proverb about families losing their wealth over three generations and understanding families as emotional systems I really had this epiphany about what had happened in my own family that caused our loss of wealth. And as a result of that, my sort of uh, professional interest became more of a personal passion to really understand how to be a resource with four families to help not only my own family, but client families as well, because as we all know, our families are the bedrock of our societies. And while people aren't as knowledgeable about the extent to which family businesses contribute to the economy, family-owned businesses are a key cornerstone of economies globally, not just in the US. And 
that is how I, I, I am where I am today. I can't think of a better way to add value, to be of service to my own family as well as other families, but to do this work. Love it. Thank you. Yeah, both of you said something as you were introducing yourselves, and I'm going to take us on a little bit of a just a, a journey because I want to hear a little bit more. And then I want to dive in because I know we've got a lot and you, this is some really great stuff that we're going to be talking about. I love talking about Bowen theory. Um, you know, Kathy, you and I realized that we have a, a friend locally that we share that I learned 95% of my Bowen theory, you know, things from, you know, listening to him and then just finding books that, um, you know, he has suggested through the years. Um, Kathy, you had said that early on in your career, as they went to see the family business, that there was mistakes that you made. And I find over and over again that people listen and hear the mistakes more clearly sometimes than the great advice to avoid the mistake. So you're, we're going to be talking about the great advice to avoid the mistakes. What were some of those mistakes, if you don't mind me asking, early on in the career that you felt that, you know, looking back in hindsight, you might have done differently. Um, well, thank you for listening that way because I agree with you. I think mistakes are the cutting edge of learning. I think, you know, you hear so many grand stories about families doing so well, but I think for me personally, reviewing my mistakes with, with other trusted um, colleagues is an enormous way of learning. In fact, I'm doing a presentation tomorrow at FFI on mistakes. Um, it's an ongoing thing I like to present on. Love it. Um, FFI, for those that don't know, is the Family Firm Institute. Right. I think, I think the first mistake is I had no roadmap. I had no theoret theoretical basis for deciding what's important. And when you don't have a theory, it can be Bowen theory, it can be whatever theory makes sense to you. What, what becomes important is just um, really a crapshoot. With Bowen theory, I'm able to look at the functioning, my own functioning and the functioning of the individuals really in, in some kind of constructive way. So that I had no roadmap. So really what I was working off of was I felt enormously pressured to be successful. This colleague from Harvard, I thought, well, if I do a good job for him, I'm in professionally. So I was professionally pressured to not think this through as carefully as I could. I was very influenced by wanting to do his good job. And in fact, I lost myself in it and was not as a critical thinker. That was one thing. The second thing is there's always a person, a situation that's seen as uh, villainous, the bad person, the troubled person. And in fact, it's a system reflecting on one individual, but it's a system that is under pressure that throws out an individual with an identifiable problem. I completely lost my system's focus and was, and was tuned to a person. And I know that when you look, find one person who's the problem, you've lost your neutrality, you've lost your curiosity, you've lost your ability to help the family see all the variables that are involved in this family. So it was very clearly, I was swayed by my relationship with the person who um, made this referral. I had no roadmap. So I was kind of trading on my personality. Not such a good help for family. As charming as you can be, you're not helping them think and build capacity to solve a problem. And I focused on a person who I saw as misguided, wrongheaded, but in fact, the system was under enormous pressure, which I could go into detail, but it is enormously valuable to see a system, to see the dynamics over time, and to watch the evolution of a family adjust to changes, births and deaths, you know, going to college, illness, 
all of which change the ability to think through problems. So that's right. a shorthand version, but it was enormous. And when I get going a mistakes club, I'm gonna invite you. I'm in, I'm in, because I am the king of mistakes. I have made more mistakes than any other person that I ever point to. At least that's how I feel sometimes. And I'm okay with that because I always learn. And so I've learned great amounts of data, but I, you didn't learn from, you know, you, you very rarely learn from the successes. You always, you know, oh. you bang your knee, you, you, know, you touch the oven, you know, it's hot. Thomasina, you said um, that your family, you know, was right in the midst of the shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. What was, what was it that happened for your family? If you, do you mind sharing that, that, you know, that was the bump in the road that, that caused the shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves, do you think? I would say, frankly, just a lack of awareness. I mean, I think in our society in general, people are so focused on accumulating wealth, of building the business, of working hard, providing for your family, for many people is a question of financial resources. And, you know, my grandparents, uh, I live in Florida, uh, in the area where my grandparents owned substantial land. They were citrus growers in an area not too far from Disney World okay. and accumulated quite a bit for a black family in the South in the 30s. Uh, my grandmother purchased land in her own name in, in the 30s. And I don't know, sometimes they purchased land together. Sometimes it was one, sometimes it was the other. I don't understand the history of it, but they were so focused on providing for their family. Um, I, in the community in which I grew up, my cousins all live, my uncles and aunts, because my parents, my grandparents had so much land that one of their key gifts for their kids for their weddings was to give them uh, a plot of land for their new home. And so the whole community was my uh, grandparents. My, my grandparents actually gave land to the city for to what is to this day, the only park in the black part of town. It's a predominantly white community uh, and there was no park. So my grandparents provided a park so that kids other than their grandkids would have a place to play. They named the community after my grandparents. And again, very prominent, worked really hard. And my grandfather, I can remember being in high school, in high school and talking to my grandfather about estate planning. What do I know about estate planning? I'm a, I'm a kid in high school. I didn't know anything about estate planning, but I knew intuitively, just because I was watching, there were gonna be problems on a relationship level when my grandparents were no longer around. Right. And my grandfather, you know, very traditionalist. The, the oldest child was a male. He's uh, deceased today. May his soul rest in peace. Uh, and my grandfather's notion was that his job was to make as much money as possible to accumulate this vast array of resources to lay the foundation that would take care of his family for generations well beyond my generation. And that once he was no longer in the picture, the mantle would pass to my uncle, his oldest son, to play that role of patriarch to make sure that everyone was provided, that they would get their equivalent proverbially of their plot of land as their foundation on which to build. Gotcha. Well, it didn't quite work out like that. Um, and I couldn't, you know, again, I'm a kid, I'm in high school, I couldn't convince my grandfather and I had no knowledge of this world. I was, frankly, I had no knowledge of this world until a relatively few years ago. Right. And I think it's because people don't know that there's actually a profession, that there are resources, that there are structures and frameworks like understanding your family as an emotional system that you need both that quantitative, the financial side, but just like when you're doing financial books, you always have the, the counterbalance. You need the financial assets, but you also have to pay attention to those family assets. You need to invest in your family the same way that you invest in growing your business and building your finances. Because if you don't, the consequences are going to be that over time, you're going to lose both. You're going to lose the family 
resources and also those relationships are going to be damaged in the process. And that's something that nobody teaches us how to do. You know, it's very difficult to navigate the family relationship side of the ledger. And because it's so challenging, most people either think, I find it's a spectrum. They either think, oh, I don't need to worry about that. My, my son, my oldest son's going to take care of everybody because he knows that's what I want. And then you have people who say, well, I've tried everything. There is nothing that can be done. My family's incorrigible. And everybody in between. And I think it's just because people don't have the tools. They don't have the resources. They don't have guides to help them understand that there's plenty that you can do. It's a question I think of exposure a lot of times. And then of course, in addition to exposure, there has to be a willingness. There's gotta be a commitment to doing that work. Some people are just afraid to go there as it relates to relationships. But I think that's because they feel like a fish out of water, so to speak. They don't know what to do. And once they find out that there is a way forward, there at least is an interest in kind of dipping their toe in the water a little bit to explore. Because the reality is most everybody who I know will say, I will do anything for my family. I had a client yeah, tell me just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. That's where the willingness comes in. They'll say, I'll do anything for my family. I had a client tell me um, just a couple of weeks ago, I would give up this business in a heartbeat if it, I knew it was going to tear my family apart. And then we get into the question about how do you avoid having the business tear your family apart? And people have to do some reflecting. You know, you've got to be willing to go there. You've got to be willing to, to be vulnerable, to look at yourself and your that's, own role. You know, I, that's all good stuff. And I appreciate you, sh you sharing. I want to dive into some of the meat behind the, the, the things that we talked about, because we've got a lot of great material. Um, Kathy, would you mind, you know, just kind of, what does it mean to talk about families, you know, the, as an emotional system? I think this is, this is kind of that framework that Thomasina was talking about is that there is, you know, if once you understand the system, a little bit, then there's tools out there. You can start to work with them a little bit. Is that what you're what you're talking about? Can you go ahead and take it away? It's 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 a way of thinking about yourself, your family, in this world. So let me. I just want to give you this quote, which I found, which is this is my way of understanding relationships. I want it. There are other ways, but for me, this has proved life giving. So here's this quote, what happens when we have no maps, no copies, no landmarks, we walk in circles. <laughs> so for me, this theory has given me a way to relate to my family and the troubles in it, relate to client families and to have a way of understanding families in a much different way. So let me see if I can give you a, a, as you know, this is this is a different language. So let me see if I could be very simple and then you pick up on the points that's not clear. So here I am, an individual, but think of me as a one part of a mobile and you pull on one part and the others all respond. In other words, family members act as responsive and inseparable part of a unit. We are highly responsive to each other whether you have a daughter in New York and another one in Boulder, you are responding to them all the time. And the family is really the cauldron of, or the, the unit of inquiry. This theory says that human families function in predictable ways. In other words, when anxiety goes up, you can see predictable patterns happens in families. Some are more evident in some families, but there's predictable functioning when a family goes through anxiety. What causes anxiety? Different from all kinds of people, but it can be uh, a marriage, a death, a great deal of money, a wealthy inheritance. It can be good or bad, but it dis, it dis, um, I, I think it makes the, status quo have to seek a new level 
of balance. And in seeking, often problems pop up between family members. This is knowable. So human families function in predictable ways. There's ways to learn that. And that the functioning is that we are responding to each other in natural ways. It follows the science of human systems. We are very, we are not very far removed from other primates. And we have a brain, but often we operate much with much more reactivity than thought. And Bowen theory postulates that if through study of your own family, multi-generationally and yourself, you can manage the choice between reactivity or calm state. So let me give you an example. I'm sitting here in Boulder. I've got kids all over the country. I get an email from a daughter who says, my business is in trouble. And immediately I am activated. My automatic response would be to call her up and give her suggestions. Let's do pros and cons. What kind of help is that? Not much. My goal is not to give her a content answer, but to interact with her to help her get thinking again. So my call is substantially different from a reaction to a thought. And that is what I'm trying to do with families is to motivate them to the best thinking to solve their problem regarding the relationships. And that's done with an understanding of the brain, anxiety, really good questions that get you thinking in new ways. It is not me telling somebody else to do something. So to sum it up, it would be knowledge of family gives you a choice between automatic reaction and thought. And I love this quote, you can't will a bean to grow, or you can't change anyone, you can't, you can't make a bean grow by pulling on it. So the, the source of change is the individual self and their knowledge. I'm not trying to make anybody do anything. That would be different than many consultants. So it is me being the best thought partner with someone to stimulate their creative thinking. That is bing, 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 family systems, how you implement it in this practice. So I'll leave it to you or Thomasina to pick up on that. Well, but it is, I, it is really this, we are all, our families determine so much of the way we automatically respond and how we can then pull ourselves out to be a self and think. Sure. So no, that was great. Thomasina, I want to take this because you know, like I say, I, I have a familiarity with Bowen theory, but not everybody listening will have it. And Kathy, you know, you said it so perfectly. I love that that picture of the mobile, you know, floating over the baby's head. And when you pull on one elephant, the giraffe goes up. And if you pull on something else, you know, that, that's the family. And it really is a lot like that. And as individuals in the family, we often react instead of respond. And you talked about the brain. And so Thomasina, do you mind picking up on that? Just talking about the two parts of the brain and how that, you know, how we react, you know, based on, you know, just where we go to, um, you know where I'm going with this. So I'll just let you take it. Sure, I think what you're referring to is the neuroscience, which tells us that the uh, back of our brain is the area that really developed first back in prehistoric days when the brain's function was our physical safety. Uh, lions, tigers, and bears are afterwards. You had to, you instinctively moved for literally your life right. in the physical sense. As our brains have evolved, now the prefrontal cortex, the front part of our brain, we've come to realize is the thinking center. Uh, if anyone's familiar with Daniel Kahneman's work, uh, his book, Think, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, the amygdala area, the limbic brain, is the part that developed first and is the quick instinctive, that reactivity that, that Kathy referred to. 
um, you mentioned earlier, you know, making mistakes, putting your finger on that hot stove. You don't think about, oh, is this too hot? Not quite hot enough. You just instinctively pull it away. That is the fast brain, the back of the brain, the limbic brain. The prefrontal cortex in the front part is the slow brain. That's the thoughtful, deliberate brain. And as Kathy says, we're closer to our animal friends than we'd like to admit. <laughs> the reality is that most of, and this is science, and I, the number, depending on what study you read, is north of 75%. Some people say as much as 90 of our day-to-day -day decisions are just instinctive. We don't think about it. If you have ever uh, been driving, and you end up at home driving between work in the days when we were physically going other places to work. Uh, and you just end up there and you think, how did I get here? Like you weren't consciously, you're just kind of going through the motions. You just instinctively do this, this, that. For the most part, that's not a challenge. But when it comes to relationships and our families being the pe people who are closest to us, you know, our families can set us off or trigger us in ways that somebody else might say the same thing and we would dismiss it. And so even though we don't have concerns, most of us this day and age don't have concerns about our physical safety, there are all kinds of other triggers like psychological and emotional safety within families, like uh, the need to control things, uh, particularly if you were a founder of a very successful business, you got that way because you were calling the shots. Um, so those kinds of issues are the things that tend to set us off and trigger us uh, in this day and age. Another huge one is belonging. Um, you know, we have one of the, the interesting things I love about understanding families as emotional systems and understanding Bowen theory that offers something different, I think, than other approaches is to understand the togetherness force that uh, Instinctively, we want to be a part of our families. We want to be close to our families. And at the same time, we wanna assert our independence. And for our very survival, our own functioning in the world, we need to assert our independence. If a mother never puts her baby down and is, holds that baby till the baby's up in years, the child never learns to walk. So this, there's this tension between how do I insert my, assert my independence, learn about who I am in the world, what I like, don't like, what I will do, won't do, and at the same time, am close to my family members, belong to this tribe, and the tension that a lot of families end up trying to negotiate, sometimes not that successfully, is what do you do when what I want for myself what, who I want to be in the world is different than the rest of my family. You know, that's a really good point. I have a, a family that I serve. My father served them before me and he was with the, the, the founding, you know, members of the, of the family business. And there came a point when the daughter said, I, I need to do my own thing. And that was, it was tearing the founder, you know, mom and dad, they founded this business. It was tearing their heart. They're like, you're throwing our heart on the pavement and stomping on it is the way that we feel right now. And they, you know, they helped her to do it um, begrudgingly. It took probably a good 10 years and, you know, before they started to realize, even though they you remember that you want to be part of the family, but you need to be separate. So they still were doing things but together, but it was, it was very difficult and trying. And it was really interesting. We did a family meeting two years ago and um, there was a loan that was given to the daughter to start that business. And, you know, I was just asking mom and dad, you know, what do you think of how she's done? And, they just went on and on raving about how proud they were of her for forging her own way and doing what she needed to do and that they understood today what they didn't understand then that it wasn't it wasn't mom and dad it was her that needed to be different and i said have you ever told her that no nope. <laughs> 
Nope. So in the midst of the family meeting with two attorneys, two accountants, and you know my team and the, the whole entire family there, I said, Dad, I think it's time that you share with your daughter what you and I just talked about. He just started bawling and going through and telling her everything. She's, it was just a beautiful moment when it allowed that response to finally happen rather than a, the reaction that was there 10 years ago, right? And I think that what you that's a perfect example of how a consultant can be a resource for a family to share such a poignant moment that may not have happened otherwise. Yeah. I think the young lady also is a great demonstration of being self-defined. What in Bowen theory terminology is differentiating self. Because there are lots of families, I've worked, I can, a young woman comes immediately to mind who had a similar situation and felt guilty to the point that she stayed and worked in the family business and was miserable, yeah. absolutely miserable. So that again is attention. How do you stand in your own truth and still, still stay connected and in relationship with the family? It's also a testament to the parents that even though they did it grudgingly, at least they did support her on her journey. That doesn't happen in all families. And I think part of the work of understanding your family's and emotional system is to recognize that we can do this thing. You know, we can allow, one of my favorite quotes is the best thing that we can give our children is wings so they can fly and roots so they stay grounded. And well, to me, that is a, a lot of the work. I, I, I love you. I would want you to do something different, but I'm going to support you in this journey because we all have to find our own way and still love you through it. Yeah, agreed. Kathy, when we, you know, let's, not, let's take this, we've given some framework around Bowen theory and the, you know, the reactivity versus responding and self, you know, uh, identifying. Um, talk about this in the relationship of, you know, we, and we've done, a, we've hit a little bit on it, but ownership and entry and exit in the business and family employment policies, just, can you expand on that a little bit further? Um, all of those, while they are business decisions, have an emotional component. So, um, Let me give you a case. Let me see if I can do it succinctly. Um, this is a family of, um, that came with a problem. They were in the wine business. They had triplets who were, um, have just, they had their own careers and they've come together to be marketing, distribution and production. And they were having horrific fights. And so they, the family brought in a number of um, uh, mediators to try and solve it. If you would look at the total family system, you would see that the challenge those three triplets, those triplets had, and there were other siblings not in the business, had much more to do with the previous generation. The father had just left his job his career as a wine distributor and had just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. His wife, who was an attorney, had just quit her job and they were wanting, as we soon realized, when we went back a generation, the parents were really concerned about the father's losing capacity. So they started these, this new business and encourage these three young women to come in. They had all their own careers. And so these three young women came into the business and started fighting over all decisions. The real concern here was that the parents had made a decision to help the father who was going through this change in his life, start a new business and rally his children and his wife around him to, for the next phase. That was the bigger picture. You could, you could facilitate conflict resolution with those three from now until they're, you know, they're 100. Unless you're looking at the major picture of the relationships and what's happening to people, you're not solving for the right problem. 
So the conversation is much more between the parents and how are they gonna deal with this new business in the midst of the father's decline? What are they expecting with the decline? It was a conversation up a generation. Those, all of these decisions you're talking about that have to do with governance live in a context. They live in a history. They live in a relationship. And without observing and understanding that, you're often solving for the wrong problem. And I mean, I hope that was an explanation of unless you can look at the system and it's what it's going through and its history, the problem becomes one that's isolated and doesn't take into account the history and the prior relationships. So once those mo that mother and father could talk about it, why they brought the girls in, then the decision-making about marketing and responsibility and governance gets put in a whole different light because the purpose of the business is really to keep the father functional for a longer period of time or so they believe. So I think that it widens, this theory widens your frame, focusing on human family relationships widens your frame. And it is an, a remarkable thing. All those conflict people, resolution people, very skilled, uh, long, you know, long experience. They just were at the wrong problem. So any of those administrative decisions need to be seen in context and in the context of the relationship system in which they're founded. So let me just ask a follow-up to that. Sure. When we start talking about, you know, when you're when you're working with a family. Okay, yeah. multi-generational family business, getting ready to go through these things. How are you mapping out and how are you getting them to think about themselves as a system? What are the what are the questions? What are the things that we need to be focusing on ourselves that we might be able to, you know, start to really see through these things differently? A, a, fa a complete family multi-generational diagram with really, really good questions. That's where the hard work is in the preparation of, it's asking the question that doesn't have a leading answer. It's an open curiosity of doing a multi-generational family diagram and also looking at a timeline. If you do a timeline of critical events, both positive and negative, and ask people to reflect on what was happening in the business and the family, might those connect for you? In what ways would they connect? What you know, when, when we did the timeline and, and we saw the diagnosis and the mother leaving within a month of each other, you can ask the question, honestly, what might the correlation be between that and the startup of the business? Oh, it's the questions that take so much time because if I went in there with an answer to it, my questions would be more skewed. And yep. we'll have an edge to them. It is it this theory, and I, I I feel like this this has been my way to deal with it, but provides a map for curiosity and a map to really think through the forces that we're all up against as life goes on and a business goes on. So family diagram, timeline with critical events and the connection between the two. And then some people will get, oh. Maybe that's connected. Then you ask, well, how did the daughters get invited in? Well, they didn't really get invited in. <laughs> we gave them such large salary. Oh, would is that something you want to continue, which is a kind of pay policy that reflects the state of the family? Well, I don't think so. So you can begin to build with questions. I love it. So what you're, you know, when you have that timeline. And you're mapping the, you know, the good and the the good and bad events throughout somebody's lifetime. Right. What you do? Think about that for a second. See if I got this. So now we've got that reptilian brain, 
and I hit a wall 30 years ago and it hurts and I made a mistake and I never thought through it. I never self-actualized what was going on and what I was feeling. And now 30 years later, something happens within the family. My kids do something and my reaction didn't have anything to do with the kids or the business or why I was doing it. It has to go back to 30 years ago. Is that correct? Bingo. Okay. What is it they do in charades? They you tit your nose when you're right. You're, you're spot on and people will come to this if it's framed and it's not leading, you're not leading for an answer. You are genuinely curious because both the highs and the lows sync with the business and the family. And you can watch that pretty carefully in my experience. Interesting. My, my father went through John's, our friend John Engel's training. Really? I have not. Um, long story, but so long, dad was, for, was part of the process was to sit down with me and, and kind of unwrap some things. And what you don't know is my biological father died when I was five. M Marty, my father married my mom and my biological father is, was an alcoholic. And, um, my, you know, my father, um, you know, emotional, sometimes was reactive. How's that? Well, you, that's, and it wasn't nothing horrible, but just reactive. Yeah. And so, and so what he said to me was based on, you know, that conversation, he goes, you, my son have to deal with the sins of two fathers. And that was both a real, you know, it was a huge relief to sit back and allow myself the time to say, it's not just me. I grew up biologically and genetically and you know in the household of the uh, you know of marty and you put those pieces together and it allowed me to take time to go back and reflect and say uh and then you know to look at some of my behaviors and say how much of that did i inherit and how much of that did i learn and how do i unpack and unravel some of the things that i'm not so loving about you know those things i love it hey this is this is great and helpful well, you have a lot of good resources in that area. Um, a lot of them that are colleagues of Thomasine and mine and, um, and John's course is excellent. So, you know, how do you learn? I keep learning all the time about leadership and about tension and conflict and, and what can one do to sit in the middle of it? So I think if you're interested in relationships and business, it, it provides lifelong learning and curiosity. And I think that's been um, a real gift of knowing this theory. Agreed. Leaders are learners. I right. Uh, right. love that, love that. Thomasina, when we're talking about, you know, you're the current leader of the business, you know, and you're the current generation, you know, what are some of the things that leaders can do to strengthen their leadership and to even take it to another level, you know, so that they're, you know, taking these tools and these systems and being able to put them together. What are some of the ways that you would be, you know, talking to leaders of businesses that they should be thinking about, I guess? Well, one of the things that I love about Bowen Family Systems Theory is that the way that you learn the theory is to live it. And that it's not simply a, uh, a tool in your proverbial toolbox or an exercise that you bring out at family meetings. You really have to, uh, to own it. And I think of it as a, as, as a way of being, really. It's a state of being. To be, first of all, uh, aware, self-aware, to be observant. How am I interacting with my family members, with my employees? What could I have done differently in a situation that didn't turn out the way in which I thought it should have or would have liked for it to? I think one of our natural tendencies as human beings is to always think it's the other person's fault. You know, usually when clients come, whether it be the, the, the incumbent generation who's running the business, they may want their kids to do something differently or their spouse to do something differently. If so-and-so would just do this or would just do that. Uh, by the same token, the next generation, if mom would just give me a chance to show what I can do, 
uh, if mom or dad would just do that, rather than thinking about what is it that I can do to make this situation different. Because of the fact that families are systems, one of the characteristics of a system, like the mobile example that you're talking about earlier, if there's a change in one part of that system, there will by definition be a change in other parts of the system. Sometimes those changes come like tsunamis. Sometimes they're just ripples across a pond. Sometimes they're very quick and immediate and apparent. Sometimes they take longer and are kind of below the surface. So I would say that the most important thing that someone can do as a leader to strengthen their leadership is to be observant of their own behavior and what it is that they can do differently to be accountable and responsible for being the change literally that they want to see. Um, being able to manage your own reactivity is critical. And the way that you do that is figuring out, well, what is it that triggers me? I know I have specific triggers that I, when they come up, I was like, okay, <laughs> we don't wanna go there. Uh, but that comes from, again, studying yourself, studying others and looking broadly at the system. Um, as Kathy was saying, we also have a tendency to look at things in isolation, to say that, that so-and-so is a problem child or a problem employee without understanding the broader context, the broader context in which whatever is happening is evolving. So the extent to which you as a leader can learn to train yourself to see the system, to see what's going on in a bigger picture and to connect dots one of the favorite ways I like to introduce this concept to families is by talking about the concept of triangles. Um, I, I, I apologize. I was going to make sure that we talked about that. That was my next, I was like, there's, there's a gift we can give people right now. So people listen up closely. Um, Thomasina is going to walk through uh, something that I just think is brilliant. And, you know, as, as I learned this, um, it's been one of the most powerful tools that I've learned in dealing with my family. So take it away, Thomasina. Thank you. What Bowen theory says, Dr. Bowen uh, says that the most stable relationship system is at least a three person system that by definition, there are gonna be conflicts. I don't care how loving or how close you are. At some point, you're gonna have a difference of opinion about something. When that difference is very strong and there's tension between two parties, let's say it's between uh, a spouse, uh, two spouses who co-own a business. If there's a lot of tension between those, those spouses, oftentimes if people haven't trained themselves to be less reactive, to try to stay in that thinking mode, they allow that anxiety to build up such that they've got to dissipate it someplace. So they bring in a third person. That might be your child. It might be a key employee. It could even be a consultant. Consultants get caught up in triangles all the time. And triangles are not by definition good or bad. It's how you use them. So when there's anxiety between two people, rather than those two people working on resolving their difference, they one or more of them tries to bring in a third person to enlist that person to their side. Um, I uh, had an illustration of just this the other day. I was talking with a group of four uh, adult children, some of whom work in the business, some of whom don't. There's one daughter and three young men, three sons. The oldest son is concerned. I'm talking uh, as a consultant with just the adult children. At the end of the meeting, the older son says, well, what do we do, Thomasina? Because as soon as we walk out of here, mom is gonna call my sister and ask her for a blow by blow of what happened in this meeting. Who said what? And I've seen it before. My sister, and she may not intend to do this, but she's gonna misinterpret something that was said, she's gonna get it wrong, and it's gonna be a whole big blow up. What do we do then? And this was my first meeting with this group of children. I simply turned around, of course, this was back when we could actually have the, the in-person meetings, and I drew on a flip chart, uh, just a diagram that you have the mother as one point of the triangle, the daughter as another point of the triangle, and the three sons were the third point. 
And what was happening is because the mother was so aligned with the daughter, the mother would communicate with or try to understand what was going on with her sons by talking to the daughter rather than talking to the sons directly. So the, the, the fix, if you will, or the way for them to handle that is to say, the daughter could easily say, well, mom, uh, I know you want to know what's ha what happened in the meeting. And I think people want to talk to you about that. One of the things we learned about is this concept of triangles and being responsible for what it is that we think. And to also be in a situation where if there is a conflict, trying to figure out how can we work that together. So I'm happy to share with you what I think, but I'm not going to speak for my brothers because I may not totally get what they think or my, may have misinterpreted or my filter may be different, but I'm certain that they're happy to talk with you about that. And so what the person does who's been brought in between these other two forces, they stay in relationship. I still wanna talk to my mom. I'm happy to share with you what I think and what happened from my perspective. She also is in relationship with her brothers but is encouraging the mother and the brothers to be in communication with each other. So there's a role for everybody to play. There's no blame, there's no shame. There's simply how do we reframe this in a way that we can figure out how to be in better relationship with each other. And Kathy talked about you know, mapping out your family, basically using a, what we call a family diagram as a sophisticated family tree. If you simply write on a piece of paper, your family tree, you can begin to map the emotional relationships. You can identify the triangles. I certainly can tell you the triangles in my family that I didn't, I knew existed on an intellectual level, but there's something about putting it on a piece of paper and being able to look at it and you can see the anxiety and the tension move throughout the family. So that's one of the things that a founder or, or an incumbent generation, someone who's running a business can do, sit down and think about in what situations am I not having conversations that I really know I should have, that I'd like to have, but I don't know how to. And who else am I bringing into that? How can I, figure out how to be in a, in a different relationship with those folks. And right. sometimes the anxiety really is more on us than the other people. You know, we'll say that the daughter says, well, I don't want to tell my mom no, because I don't want to hurt my mom's feelings. And it's not so much hurting the mom's feelings is the daughter not wanting to sit with her own discomfort not willing to be vulnerable enough to say, mom, I love you. I want to share with you, but I really think that you should talk directly to my brothers. Sure. And, and inside of a business, an employee comes to you and says, they've got a problem with John. And instead of you sending him back and say, you really need to go back and talk to John about that. And so that John understands what's going on, which makes them more emotionally mature. You turn around and say, Hey, John, do you know what Pete said about it? And, and it's so simple when you see it that way. I, I, again, I go back to the mistake because I can, can only tell you that I might have triangled a few several thousand times the wrong <laughs> way. Um, this summer, I did it the right way. My son had a problem with my wife. And since it's a second marriage, he didn't feel it was his place. He's like, dad. And I'm, I pulled him aside and I said, look it. This is, this is time for you to go and take care of this. When you have a problem with your stepmom, you need to go and take her aside, you know, and, and talk to her about it. He goes, well, I can't do it right now. I said, that's totally okay. You do it when you can. An hour later, he comes up to me and says, dad, I just want to say that was the best advice you ever gave me. He goes, we have a stronger relationship because I was able to have that conversation with her instead of you having it with her. That was great. Boom, right? That's, you know, those are the, the things where you, you, when they happen, you just kind of love them. Ladies, we could do this for another three or four hours, I think, because I, I love having these conversations. Um, what I asked for is a couple of things. Um, books. Is there a book or two that you would recommend for the audience as they're listening to say they wanted to start looking into this stuff? What are two of your favorite books that you, that you might you know, have them take a look at. 
great question. Um, Kathy? If, if, this in, if this intrigues you at a higher intellectual level, I would go directly to Dr. Murray Bowen's um, family evaluation. It's, it's, it's um, more meaty, it's more theoretical. There are a number of books that are more, um, that are easier. One is Dr. Roberta Gilbert's Understanding Organizations. Um, she has another and, book too, doesn't she? Yes, Leadership. Um, okay. And Mike Kerr has, uh, The Mystery has a new book who worked with Dr. Kerr, The Mystery of Families that I like a lot. Um, there's, there's tons and as um, I, I'm happy to think through and get you kind of a, a more um, understandable list for people. There's wonderful videos on the Bowen Archives, the Murray Bowen Archives website uh, of Dr. Bowen. Uh, they're a bit grainy, but understanding how the family, the individual, the family, society, fits together, especially in this time of such unrest, looks at how they all feed each other. So, and there's, um, well, Thomasina, do you want to mention what you think and then our offer for people? Sure. So I um, did make a, a list so I wouldn't forget because I thought you might ask this question. The Roberta Gilbert book you're thinking of, I think, is the one that's called Extraordinary Relationships. That's right. Not, uh, right. That's exactly yeah. it. Um, another book, uh, a colleague and a partner of Kathy's, Andrea Shera, has a book called Your Mindful Compass. That's great, too. Uh, Kathleen Smith is a Bowen practitioner on the faculty at the Bowen Center. She has a book called Everything Isn't Terrible. <laughs> uh, Dr. Kerr's recent book, uh, Bowen Theory Secrets is one that people might want to take a look at. And then another book that is uh, based on Bowen theory that I would recommend people take a look at is Re Resilient Leadership by Bob Dugan, D-U-G-G-A-N. That's my uh, current list. Uh, you know, one of the things about this field, there's not a lot of books out there, frankly, that's not a terribly long list that's that readily accessible. But I hope, totally endorse Kathy's um, looking at the Bowen, uh, Bowen archives. Also, um, thebowencenter.org, put the D in front of it, thebowencenter.org has a, um, a store where people can buy videos and, and books and things like that. They have a YouTube channel also, uh, Family Matters, where people like Kathy and other faculty at the Bowen Center are interviewed on specific topics that people might wanna take a look at. And then of course, uh, navigatingsystemsdc.com, Kathy's website, they also have uh, articles, blog posts, and videos that I think would be uh, a great resource. Oh, the other thing I should mention too, is that the Bowen Center, actually there are a network of centers uh, around the country and actually a couple globally. So people may wanna take a look at that resource uh, on the Bowen Center site to figure out where the other centers are. Like there's one in Chicago, uh, I think one in the Connecticut, New Jersey area. Florida, uh, California, Chicago. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. are resources out there that are available for people. And of course, they're always free to reach out to, to me or Kathy. One of the things that we wanted to do, because we recognize this is a different way of thinking about your family, to think about systems and context rather than think about things in isolation, to uh, think about emotionality being reactivity biologically, as opposed to just feelings like, you know, sad, joy, that kind of thing. We wanted to offer to your listeners, if anyone is interested in going a little bit deeper into this work, We've been working on a framework as a way of helping families understand the pieces of the work, if you will, and creating kind of a blueprint for themselves about how to take on this issue. So we wanted to offer 
a 30 minute video call with any of your listeners who might be interested in wanting to go a little bit deeper and understand more about how they might move forward in understanding their family as a family system. The way to take advantage of that is to simply reach out to us uh, by email. My email address is thwilliams at Sankofa Legacy Advisors. For those who are watching by video, that's the name uh, on the wall behind me, S-A-N-K-O-F-A Legacy Advisors with an O dot com. And then Kathy, Kathy's email address, Kathy at WorkingSystemsInc.net. Perfect. Are you and both of course, you can also uh, reach out to us by LinkedIn, too, if Perfect. that's an easier way uh, for you to do it. And uh, my website, uh, SankofaLegacyAdvisors.com, is also accessible. It's in, I'm in the process of actually developing uh, a new one. And then um, Kathy's, uh, I guess, current uh, primary website is NavigatingSystemsDC.com. Great. Wonderful. I can't say thank you enough. This was wonderful. I, this is just one of my favorite topics to talk about because I see it within our, my own family. And this was the first year we did a family meeting where we opened up the doors to this conversation. So I'm pretty excited yeah. to share some of these things. I'm going to take this recording and make sure that my, you know, share it with my family. But thank you both for joining us. Really, really appreciate your time and for sharing. My name is Michael Columbus. This has been the Family Biz Show. I'm with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And make sure you check us out. You know, you can find Family Wealth and Legacy on LinkedIn and Facebook. And I think we even have an Instagram now. I think that's uh, the producer made us get Instagram and Twitter so that you can follow the show and see announcements and whatnot as new shows are, you know, put out there. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Thank you, Michael. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting-edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that, and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.